Good morning, New Hope. Imagine for a moment that you were at work and you were talking to your friends about the All Blacks. The All Blacks up and coming face off against who? The Lions? Oh, look at that. And imagine you were you're saying, yeah, really good, strong All Black supporter. And somebody said, oh, tell me, who's the captain this year? And you said something like, I don't know, Gary Kasparov. You go, who? Isn't he chess? The point is, your credibility will probably go through the floor at that point in time if you didn't even know who the captain of the team was. And you didn't know the rules of the game. And you didn't even know how it was played. Sometimes we need to upskill ourselves on the basics of Christianity. And here's the good news. We, as Christians, are evidentialists. That means we have solid evidence for our faith, which no other religion on the planet has. Nobody else. First of all, nobody else claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody else said, you cannot come to the Father except through me. Nobody else said that. Nobody else had a saviour. There's somebody who claimed to be the saviour. They were all supposed teachers. There is no concrete evidence. For, for example, the Mormon claim to America. There's zero archaeological, historical, scientific claims for their claim. There's no backup for it. For our faith, we have we are well endowed. Let me just say that. So today, if you're sitting here, and perhaps you've thought, oh, Christianity is only for people with weak minds, don't understand science, perhaps I would encourage you to take a look. And even at some of those resources up there, another good, uh, a good place for you to have a look at in the quantities of your own home is a website called Cross Examined. Cross, C-R-O-S-S, examined.org. That's a friend of mine, Dr. Frank Turek. And he has got the answers to just about any question you want to type in there. How do I know Jesus lived? Some people still ask that. They haven't done the homework. They haven't done the history. If you want to know an answer for that, the evidence is overwhelming. How do we know he died? This is not even secular sources. Let's just forget the Bible for one moment. Because if you try and invoke the Bible to some of your people at the work, they'll say, well, you're trying to prove the Bible by using the Bible. So let's just take away that excuse completely. Let's just drill down on archaeology and on history. Let's just go from that. Do you accept that? And start from there. So again, crossexamined.org. It is really important that you grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you to take a look at that. I'm just going to shift the sport a little bit. This morning we're going to continue in our series... On the wonder of mercy. And one of the purposes of this series on mercy is to help you understand what God is actually really like. And the reason why we're doing this is because there's a tremendous number of misconceptions about what God is like. They, people just do not understand deeply the mercy of God. And that God always acts in mercy towards us. I want to take the first verse here. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it's on your outline and up here on the screen. The Bible says this, that Jesus saved us. 
Why? Not because of the good things we did, but because of what? His, his mercy. He washed away our sins, and He gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. Now, God is such a God of mercy that He came to earth in a human form called Jesus Christ, God veiled or wrapped in flesh, and He came on a mission of mercy. That was His purpose, to save us. In fact, the Bible says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I want to refocus your attention on this today. Jesus is speaking. He says, I have come. Why did I come? To seek and to save those who are lost. Very clear why he came. This is the ultimate expression of mercy. Jesus said the whole reason, the key reason I came to earth is to seek and to save those who are what? Lost. Mercy seeks. Mercy takes initiative. Mercy takes a first step. Mercy saves. And by the way, that's the reason why every church on this planet exists. That's the reason why New Hope exists. We exist to seek, go after. Go after and to save those who are lost. Key purpose. Now notice in that verse, in God's eyes, there are only two. Only two kinds of people. What are they? The saved and the lost. Now, every one of us in this room are in one of those categories. We're either saved or we are lost. And ultimately, there is no other distinction that matters. None. Because this category has eternal implications. People who are saved and people who are lost, or people who have yet to be saved by God. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not in the saved category, so I must be in the lost category. Well, that's true. But please don't close your ears. Do not consider being lost ever to be a put-down. It's not. Both of these phrases, saved and lost, say you have enormous value. Somebody loves you and you matter to God. Now these two phrases say, as you'll see, that you're worth seeking. You're worth saving. You are worth finding. They're expressions of love. And I want you to write this down on your outline. Lostness implies value. Lostness implies value. You lose something. If it's not valuable, you won't go looking. If it's valuable, you just lose your wallet. And you see what a brouhaha happens in your house. Where's it gone? You turn the place upside down because it's valuable to you. And you seek with a very clear mission in mind. So if I'm spiritually lost, friends, today, it does not mean that I am not valuable. In fact, you are so valuable that there's been just letters in this, uh, the worship series uh, song that Jesus Christ didn't want heaven without us, so he came to earth to seek and save you. So this morning, I want to do three quick things. I want to look, as we look at the mercy of God, I'm going to ask three questions. Number one, what do I lose when I am spiritually lost? 
Now, for those of you who say, oh, I'm already Christian. Okay, great. Point B for you is, can you explain this to somebody else? If you know it, do you really know it? And the evidence of that is, can you explain that? That's what happens when you go to school. We've got teachers in this room. And, 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 and I'm sure the students say, well, I know. And they say, okay, well, you tell me what you think you know. And that'll prove if we've actually got good understanding. So what do I lose when I'm spiritually lost? Number two, what does God mercy do when I am lost? Or how does God respond to that? And thirdly, okay, how can I experience God's mercy? Now, luckily, the answers to all of those three questions are found in one chapter of the Bible. And Jesus tells three stories which answer these questions. We're going to talk about the lost sheep in Luke 15, the lost coin in Luke 15, and the lost son in Luke 15. So Luke 15 is called the lost chapter of the Bible because the word lost and found is actually found 10 times in this chapter, 10 times. So, you know, you, you parents have probably said, I've told you before to your children, right? I've told you this before. In other words, you want them to get it. So if there's nothing else you get today, what chapter is it that contains the lost chapter? What chapter of Luke? Luke chapter 15. So if somebody asks you that, you know where to go. And there are how many parables in that chapter that talk about lostness? Three. So you're good. So if anybody springs at you and you're scrambling, where do I go looking? Where do you look? Luke chapter? 15. Right, let's move. In these stories, the shepherd, the woman, and uh, yeah, the, the shepherd, the woman, and the father all represent God. And the sheep, the coin, and the son represent you and me. So I want to just set that up before we dive in. I'm quickly going to go over them, then we're going to drill down. Number, the first parable you're going to find is the story of the lost sheep. And this shepherd is out in the boonies, and he's got a hundred sheep. And every night he brings them into a little pen and puts them in a little pen to keep them safe because of predatory animals. That's what they typically do. They still do that today. And you'd be counting. You can imagine that night by the pen as uh, going in the day. 97, 98, 99. Hold it. Where's number 100? And he counts them all because everyone counts. One is missing. And by the way, if you didn't count, you wouldn't know there was one missing. You count things that are valuable. So the good shepherd leaves the 99 in the pen to diligently search for that missing one, the lost one. He doesn't say, well, you know, we've got 99, that's good enough, rough enough, you know. Forget the lost one. He doesn't say that at all. No, he demonstrates, what does he demonstrate? That they are all valuable. So the good shepherd searches until he finds it. But I want to tell you, he was determined to find that one that's missing. And if you're following along in your Bible, Luke 15, 5 says, and when he finds it, look at his reaction. He puts it, he joyfully, yeah! You know, like when you find your wallet, but far more important, like when you've, if you've lost one of your kids. Oh, sheesh. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The second one is all about the lost coin. 
Now, this woman has 10 silver coins. Now, these are normally given as a wedding gift. So imagine, very precious, sentimental value. To lose one would be extremely distressing. Much like you'd lose a wedding ring or something like that. So she gets some light, she sweeps the house from top to bottom because it's not like a nice wood floor like this. In those days, they had straw and all sorts of stuff in there. You have to go it bit by bit, literally the, the coin in the haystack type of style. But she carefully searches and she does not give up until she finds the one lost coin. And she's so happy about it, she throws a party and invites her neighbors and her friends to celebrate. And then lastly, the lost son. This wealthy father has two sons. And the younger one audaciously comes to him one day and says, Dad, I demand you give me half of the, my inheritance right now. And he rolls on down for the Sunset Strip in downtown Jerusalem. And there, as you well know, he squanders his inheritance with, the Bible says, wild living. So, you know, wine, women, emphasis on the women, and song. But eventually, a severe famine hits the country. And he be, the Bible says he began to be in need. In other words, let me put it real simple, he ran out of do-re-mi. No dosh. He began to be in need. He can't even get a job. So he ends up feeding slop to pigs. Now, that's not ideal on your resume for a kosher Jew. The hunger and pain caused him, though, let me say it again, the hunger and the pain caused him to have a moment of clarity. What in the world am I doing? The servants who work for my father, I remember back home, I've treated better than this. You know what I'll do? I'll go back home to my dad and say, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. I blew it. I blew a lot of our family's inheritance. I made a big mistake. I sinned. Just make me one of your hired servants. And I'll be happy with that. Because your hired servants are living a whole bunch better life than I am right now in my own rebellion. And as you know, the loving father hugs him, he welcomes him home, and he throws a party for his son who was lost, but now he's found. Now, notice the common denominator in all three stories. There's a party. A party. So that when that which is lost is found, there's great rejoicing. So let's now look at God's mercy and how it relates to being lost, on the one hand, and found. To be lost means to be spiritually separated from God. So much so that I don't have a relationship with God. And that's the case. I am spiritually lost. So what do I lose when I'm spiritually lost? These three stories that Jesus told in Luke 15 give us five things that we lose. You may write these down so that you can explain these to others that you come across. What do I do if I'm lost? Number one, like a lost sheep, I lose my direction. I lose my direction in life. The Bible says all of us, that's all, big word, have strayed, just like sheep. We have all left God's path to follow our own ways. 
Isaiah here is speaking of Israel straying from God and comparing them to wandering sheep. Yet God would send the Messiah to bring them back into the fold. Now, you and I are very fortunate because we have the foresight to see and know the identity of the promised Messiah who came to die for our sins. But if we know all that Jesus did and we still reject him, our sin is much greater than that of the ancient Israelites who could not see what we have seen. Question, good question this morning, just to answer in your own head, yes or no. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ, the good shepherd? Or are you still going your own way like a wandering sheep, trying to figure it out? See, most people are just drifting through life. They make up directions as they go. Oh, no, maybe we go left here. Maybe next I turn right. Or oh, another left. It's like that famous World War II pilot who radioed in to control at the home base and said, uh, and the home base said, where are you? And he said, I don't know where I am, but I'm making record time. <laughs> we do this a lot in life. We confuse speed with direction. We think, I'm so busy, I must be accomplishing something. In reality, you may just be spinning your wheels or like sitting in a rocking chair, using up energy, but getting nowhere. See, you can have a lot of speed in your life, but have absolutely no idea where you're headed. So for like that sheep, it's very easy to wander off and we lose our direction. Second thing we lose is we lose our protection. I lose God's protection. The Bible says in Zechariah 10.2, my people are wandering like lost sheep without a shepherd to what? Protect them and guide them. See, that's guidance that relates back to that first point. And again, now protection. And the Bible says, who's my shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23. Jesus is called the good shepherd. As, sh as sheep, we are completely dependent upon the shepherd for provision, for guidance in this life, and for protection. But if you're not following the shepherd, the Bible is clear. You are on your own without God's direction or protection. Just like my brother Pat was talking about last year. Uh, last year. Last week. 14 years in the wilderness wandering, doing what he thought was right. And when you're on your own, that's why you get stressed out and you have worry and you have anxiety because you're trying to work it out on your own. You're going your own way and not God's way. Now, when the Lord is our shepherd, here's what happens we're not easily frightened or upset. We are secure in Jesus. So when I place myself under the shepherd's care, I get direction and I get protection, even through the tough stuff, which God can and will use for good. Because we know that famous verse says in Romans 8, 28, what does it say? It says we know that everything, that God causes everything to work to good for those who love him, love God, and are called according to his purpose. It is not for everybody, that verse. The third thing that we lose when we're spiritually lost is found in the story of the lost coin. Now, like a lost coin, when I'm lost, I'm disconnected from God. I lose my potential, like the lost coin. My mum, before she passed away, gave us boys a series of collector's coins. There's 10 of them, which my dad and mum bought in 1950-something or other. And... 
These things are normally passed around through a certain number of collectors. But if you put a lot of coins together, you could do a lot of good. You put a lot of coins together, you could feed a family. You could build a business. You could leave a, le uh, leave a legacy, many good things. But you can't do any of those things if it's lost. Lose it, and you lose its potential to do good. If I lose this, it's not worthless. It's just wasted, that coin that my mum gave. It's still got value, but it's just wasted because I've lost it. So God made you to do great things that can have eternal implications if you give him first place in your life and you live for him. Now, only your creator, because he made you, knows what you're capable of. And what I'm saying is this. If you're disconnected from God, you are spiritually lost, and then you lose all of that potential for eternal good. And you'll miss out on what God's plan for your life. And that, friends, is a wasted life. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 2.9, no one has ever seen or heard or even imagined the wonderful things that God has prepared and arranged for those who love him. Now, knowing that the wonderful and eternal future that awaits us gives us hope, it gives us courage to press on in this life, to endure hardship and to avoid giving in to temptation and to reach our potential for God. Now, the fourth thing I lose when I'm spiritually lost is, like the son, the lost son, this one relates to, is I lose my happiness. The youngest son, the Bible says, wasted all that he'd been given and eventually became miserable. And lonely. Like the lost son, you were not designed to waste what you've been given or to live a separated life from or be in conflict with the Father. Now, what separates us from God? A few things do. I'll just mention a couple here. One is our wandering nature. Our wandering nature. We get, which really means our wandering heart. We're very easy to give our heart to things that seem on the given appearance of attractiveness. Maybe that's possessions. Maybe that's position. Maybe that's popularity over doing what's right and standing for what's truth. Many things. Basically, I'm going to live the way I want to live. Secondly is our choices. Our choices. Separate us from God. Like the prodigal son, if you persist in your separation from God, eventually you will be miserable and lonely. And fifth and finally, the fifth thing I lose finally is when I'm spiritually lost, I lose my home in heaven. And that's a big one. God gives you and me the freedom to say this. I don't want to worship God, to love God, or to live for God. You're free. You don't have to live for God. You can live for yourself. That's your choice. The entire rest of your life. And God gives us that freedom because if God forced you to love him, it really wouldn't be real love, right? Now, one of the perfections God gave you was the ability to make free choices. And the problem is you and I can easily misuse that free will and choose our own way instead of God's way. We pursue our dreams over his will. But, friends, it makes no sense to re continually reject God's will, his guidance, his love, his mercy in my life. And then all of a sudden, when I die, 
to suddenly want to be in his family forever. If you don't like God now, what makes you think you're going to love him in eternity? So when I'm spiritually lost and I reject the great shepherd, one of the things you lose is your home in heaven. Preparing for the next life, friends, in my view, is one of the most important things you can do in this life. The Bible says this in Luke 9, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul? In other words, what good is it if you make $10 million and you reach every goal on your bucket list, every goal on your checklist, but you lose your soul in the process because you're in rebellion to God? Here's a really interesting question to consider carefully. Let me ask you, what are you acting like is more important than eternity? What right now is more important to you than knowing and loving and pleasing God? Whatever that is, is your God, small g. Now these three stories tell Jesus, uh, that Jesus tells, tell us the reason or the ways people get spiritually lost. But they also tell us, I don't lose my value. I may be spiritually lost, but I haven't lost my value, just like my coin. I may have lost my direction, I may have lost my protection, my potential, and my happiness in my home in heaven, but I haven't lost my value because I'm still valuable. You are still worth saving. The Bible says, very famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes, that's freely chooses to believe in him may not be lost, but have eternal life. Here's the bottom line. We can all be disconnected from God by our nature, by our circumstances, our choices. When we're disconnected from God, we lose those five things we just went over. But the good news is, is that because of God's mercy, Jesus came to earth to seek and save that which is lost. He's not waiting for you or me to take the initiative. So what happens when I'm saved? How does God's mercy save me? Well, salvation, firstly, rescues me from myself. Salvation rescues me from myself, like the sheep who wandered off, just wanders off, does his own thing. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. Nobody else can do that. He was always divine, but he added his, this human nature to his divine nature. And he gave himself to rescue all of us. That's the mercy of God. Now next, like the woman who had a lost coin, God's mercy will recover my potential. He will recover my potential. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and worn out from carrying too much. Learn to trust and rest in me, and you'll recover your life. Not waste your life giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes. Question. Always good to ask questions. Here's the first thing. 
What would you like to recover that you've lost? Your joy? Have you lost your joy? Would you like to recover your purpose? Gotten a little hazy. Your direction. Let's move on. Third, like the lost son, God's mercy reconnects me to God. Remember the loving father in the story as a representation of God, your heavenly father? And salvation reconnects me to God. The Bible word for this is reconciliation. The Bible says here in 2 Corinthians, anyone who, re- who connects to Christ becomes a new person. That means they are rescued, they are recovered and reconnected. The past is forgotten. Oh boy, I like that one. My past is forgotten. And everything that becomes new, that there's a new purpose for living and a home in heaven. And God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. That's the reconnecting part. That's the reconciling. That's the tearing down of the barrier between you and God. That's the kind of love that God has for you, that his wounds on the cross that we sung about today would pay for your rescue, your ransom, your recovery, and your reconnection. And then real quick, how do I connect now with God's mercy? Here's the answer. You do the same three things that the young son does in this last story if you want to be saved. Number one, good to remember with people that you talk with, you need to get to a place where you get fed up with your life. Nothing happens until you become discontented with the way things are right now. At some point, you've got to go, I'm fed up with being disconnected with God. I'm fed up with drifting aimlessly or by being driven by somebody else's agenda or the busyness of life. I'm fed up with being distant from my Heavenly Father who loves me and created me and has given me everything I need for life and godliness. You've got to get hungry. You've got to get thirsty. You've got to be desperate for a change. You've got to be honest and say, you know what? I've tried my way and I've really blown it. But I want to come home to my Heavenly Father. Luke 15, 13 says he wasted it all. He had nothing left. He, got, he came to the end of himself, basically. He got desperate and hungry. And then, this is a very refreshing phrase, finally came to his senses. Some of you are waiting for that with some of your children or your grandchildren, for them to finally come to their senses. This is when the transformation starts. But notice, there's often got to be a painful experience to arrest their attention. This is where transformation starts. I refuse to live the way I've been living one more minute. And God says in response this, you will find me when you get serious about finding me. Want it more than anything else. This is not some sort of casual churchianity. That's not what he's talking about there. The reason why most people live lost lives is because they're happy to live without God. Unless 
there's a growing sense of holy discontent that gets to such a fever pitch, nothing will change. So after you get fed up, there's a second thing you do. You own up to your sin. I own up to my sin. I just admit it. God, I've made a mess. I've blown it. I've sinned. I've done for most of my life what I wanted to do, not what you wanted me to do. And I've followed my way, not your way. So you've got to have the courage to face the truth about you. And you will know the truth, the Bible says. And firstly, I want to add something in this. Put it in brackets. It's not in the scripture, but it's my observation. The truth will firstly make you miserable. And then it will set you free. Because you have to confront your discontent in your heart. The Bible says when he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God. Notice this is two things here. Against God and you. Man and you. God and you, man. That's called confession. I have sinned. You will never be saved until you have a moment of clarity when you get fed up. When you own up. That I'm not God. I've tried to be God. I've tried to do my own things. I wanted to be God. But you have a moment of clarity and you come to your senses. I get fed up, I own up, and then there's a third and last thing. And this is what he did. He offers up himself to God. When you read the parable of the prodigal son, should that she be the loving father, notice the change in attitude that happens. When the son is in a stroppy mood and he leaves home in rebellion, it says clearly in the scripture, in Luke 15, 12, you can read it. The son drifted away saying, give me. So it's all about me. Give me my, me, 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 me and my. Give me my, talking to dad. You know, he's saying, dad, I don't care about you or the family. Just give me my part. Very egocentric. Years later, after being through his wild living, Brought to his senses, he comes back a little more humble. Notice the attitude. He returned to the father saying, make me a servant, dad. Please, just make me one of your servants. Friends, this is salvation. It's turned from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. It's turned from, I deserve all this. Entitlement attitude to, father, Make me your servant because I want to do what you want me to do. Make me whatever you want me to be. That's salvation. Now, if you have never said that, you are not saved. You're still in the lost category. If you're still trying to run your own life, you've got to move. You've got to move from my way to God's way. From my way, it's all about me and my desires and my goals and my dreams and my aspirations. And me, 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 my and ours. To God, whatever you want to do with my life, make me your servant because I want to live your way. That, friends, is clearly indicative of heart transformation. From self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And notice the father's response. Well, it was still a long way off. The father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. And he ran out to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, all of these stories demonstrate how much you matter to God, how valuable you are. 
How do you determine something's value? Simple. What somebody is willing to pay for it. How much is your house worth? What somebody is willing to pay for it. How much are you worth? You want to know your value? Back to that famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16 God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son priceless. So that whoever believes in him may not be lost, that's perish, but have eternal life. Jesus says, you are worth dying for. I wouldn't want heaven without you. And that's why I came. Would you bow your heads with me? Now you may not come to church very often. Maybe your very first time in church, or you may have been in church for a long time. Maybe because your parents brought you, or it was the right thing to do. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter about your background. The point is, God brought you here today to say you matter to God. And God says there are two kinds of people. Those who have been saved by his mercy, and those who have not yet. And still lost. Like the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, we lose our direction. We lose our protection. We lose our potential. We lose our happiness. And we do lose our home in heaven if we are lost. But we do not lose our value. Because of that, Jesus Christ came to earth for you. And today I invite you to accept the mercy of God. Would you pray this prayer in your mind and say, Dear God, today I accept your mercy. I need you to rescue me from myself. There are things in my life that I don't like. And I don't seem to be able to change. I've tried, and you know that. I need you to recover my potential. You promise to give me back what I've lost in the years that the locusts have eaten. Lord, I need to recover the things that I've lost. And Jesus Christ, I need you to reconnect me with God because you're the only one that can. I certainly don't want to be at war with God. I don't want to be in conflict with God. I want to be at peace with God. And Father, you said that when I'm serious about finding you, then I'll find you. And today, Lord, this is more true than ever before. I want this more than anything. I want to be right with you. I want to own up to my own sin. For I've most often gone my own way rather than your way. I pretended that I was God and I've lived life like there was nobody else to live for but me. I've violated my conscience, much less your laws. So today I offer up myself. I want to switch from saying give me to make me. Make me a servant. I want to be what you made me to be, Lord. Thank you that like the Father, you are filled with compassion and you run out and you throw your arms of love around me. I humbly ask you to accept me into your family. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus, I ask this. Amen.